HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo, growing the best and most interesting heirloom beans available. Learn more at ranchogordo.com. It's time for lunch. Welcome to Time for Lunch. This is a place to learn about eating, cooking, enjoying, and sometimes playing with your food. Each episode, we cover a new subject. I'm Hannah Forden. And I'm Harry Rosenblum. Tune in for food, fun, and flavor. We have a special guest here for lunch today, and it's up to you, the listener, to guess who they are and what the theme of today's episode is. Are you ready? What shape are you? I'm roundish. And are you grown or made? I'm grown. I'm guessing I can eat you? Definitely. You can eat me raw or cooked or even pressed into delicious juice. Oh, it could be so many different things. Are you a fruit, an animal, a vegetable, a mineral? I'm a fruit. Mm. What color are you? That should help. So I come in a variety of colors, but they're usually in the red, green, or yellow spectrum. Do you know who I am, Harry? I think so, especially given what season it is. I think you're an apple. Lots and lots of people are going apple picking this time of year. It's a, such a fun activity to do outside with your friends and family, and it's perfect to do while socially distancing. Harry, can I tell you something kind of funny? Please. I love funny stories. So I love apples. They are one of my favorite fruits. But a few years ago, I developed an allergy to apples. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure that some of our listeners have allergies or have friends who have allergies. And you know that they're not fun. So now whenever I eat a raw apple, it makes my mouth get all itchy and tingly. And I get a little rash on my face. But... Fortunately, I can still eat cooked apples, so there's a lot of apple pie in my future. Very nice. I look forward to the fall every year. Apples, they might be my favorite fruit. There's so many varieties and shapes and tastes, and they seem so simple, but they're really not. And even though we can get apples the whole year round, they really are at their best, at least here in the northeastern United States, in the fall. 
From eating them raw, to drinking apple cider, to pie and apple crisp, apple cider donuts, there's almost nothing as versatile as an apple, I think. I even put apple in some hot sauce that I made yesterday. Ooh, that sounds so good. I put apple in my oatmeal yesterday. Yum. And I always eat the whole thing when I eat a raw apple, seeds and all. That's how my grandfather used to do it, and it's so much easier than carrying around a gross apple core when you're done eating. Hi, my name's Lonnie, and I'm from Kissimmee, Florida. I'm here to tell you some jokes. What's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm in your apple. Why did the apple go out with the prune? Because he couldn't find a date. Why did the apple cross the road? Because he wanted to be a squash. Now it's time for our question of the day. The answer to this question is somewhere in the episode. So listen carefully. How big was the largest apple ever harvested? Keep an ear out for the answer. Did you know that apples originated in Central Asia, in what's now Kazakhstan and its neighboring countries? From there, apples traveled with people all over the world. There are many different types of apples. The original apples were probably small and tart. Through farming practices and combining different varieties, we now have the apples of today. They adapt to where they're grown, and now there are apples growing from New York to New Zealand. People who study apples are called pomologists. Palm is the word for apple in French, but it actually goes all the way back to ancient Rome. Pomology, cosmology and pomology are the only two science disciplines that are named after goddesses. And Pomona was the Roman patron goddess of the fruit harvest. That's Ian Merwin. He's a pomologist, farmer, and cider maker who lives in the Finger Lakes region in upstate New York. I run Black Diamond Farm in the Finger Lakes. Uh, right now we're in between Seneca and Cayuga Lake. This part of the country, way up north in the state of New York, is celebrated for its delicious apples. Ian knows a lot about all the different types. There's about 8,000 named apple varieties. Of those, about 800 or 1,000 are like used primarily for making fermented ciders. Mm -hmm. And they're, uh, most of them are in France and Spain, a few in England, and then that's changing. Apples are categorized based on whether they're sharp, sweet, sour, or bitter. Take a minute to imagine what those flavors might taste like and where on your tongue you might feel them. So the, the apples that you see in the supermarket are mostly either sharps or sweets. Sweets would be things like gala, uh, red delicious, yellow delicious, you know, most of the Fuji, very sweet apple, very little acid. So sharps and sweets are 90-some percent of the apples uh, that are grown around the world. Then there's a very few apples that we call bitter sharps. Maybe there's 80 of those. Kingston Black is one. Foxwelp is another. We don't have Foxwelp in North America. Tremlet's Bitter is another one that we grow a lot of here. I love all the different names for varieties of apples. Hey, Harry, if you discovered an apple, what would you call it? I would call it a russet hog sniff. Russet 
means when the outside of the apple is more like a potato and is a little bit scratchy on the surface and not smooth. Thanks to Ian Merwin for teaching us about the different flavors of apples. We'll be back with more after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo. Over the past 19 years, Rancho Gordo has led the revival of heirloom beans, taking the lowly bean from a healthy but neglected member of the vegetable family to a near superstar status ingredient. From growing the best and most interesting beans available to making sure all crops are fresh and a pleasure to cook with, Rancho Gordo's mission is to encourage cooks to experience and enjoy the unique flavors of heirloom beans. Rancho Gordo produces nearly 30 varieties of heirloom beans and lentils, as well as corn, grains, chilies, and other cooking ingredients. You can learn more at ranchogordo.com. That's R-A-N-C-H-O-G-O-R-D-O.com. Welcome back to Time for Lunch. Today, we're getting to the core of apples. Just like everything we eat, apples start out at a farm, and there are lots of different ways that farmers take care of their plants. Believe it or not, apples are pretty difficult to grow. Apple trees get sick easily, and they're pretty picky about where you plant them. Farmers throughout history have gotten super creative with how they care for their trees. While some use chemicals and fertilizers to keep bugs and other threats away, some farmers choose to work with nature. Deva Moss and Eric Schott, who are also apple farmers and cider makers in the Finger Lakes area, use a technique called biodynamic farming. With biodynamic agriculture and biodynamic certification, it's not, it, it, it is organic, but on top of that, there's this real need to be kind of a closed loop farm. And that is achieved by not only having plants on the farm, but also animals. And they work together symbiotically to feed each other and to, you know, to help each other. Eric wants to make sure that the farm is safe not just for his trees, but for all the animals, plants, and people who live nearby. Sometimes, animals can actually help the trees. So we have sheep, ducks, and geese that are grazing throughout our orchards um, during certain times of the year, and they're providing a healthy biology to the soil. We compost manure and then feed that back to the trees in the early spring. And um, all our pumice from our pressings is food for the sheep and the ducks and geese. So there's like this circular system. It's all about using what you already have, working with the soil and sun to make happy apple trees. Also in biodynamics is the use of these holistic preparations, which are mostly uh, plant-based, or produced in a compost composting situation. And they're, they're basically, they're preparations that are used to harmonize the farm. It's, it's this really cool thing and it's, it's a little bit difficult to explain, but I will say that engaging in biodynamics, the further you, in, you actually participate in it, the more it makes sense, which to me is, is really cool. So um, these herbal preparations, um, some of them help the, the soil microbiology to kind of wake up or come in sync with the spring rhythms. Some of these um, herbal preparations help the trees to fend off fungal pressures. Other ones help to capture light 
and and really um, enhance the tree's ability to photosynthesize. So there's there's this kind of approach that is harmonizing the farm and bringing it into balance. Herbs that you might have around the house, like chamomile, can be used to help the trees. There's actual plants that have certain properties to them. Like I think if there were research put into it, there'd, there'd be scientific explanation for why these things work. And I think that's pretty important. Like they have certain characteristics that are great to add protection to the trees. Wow, that was fascinating. Thanks, Eric and Deva from Red Bird Cider for telling us about the mysterious world of biodynamic farming. Let's have a dance break to celebrate. that it takes about 36 apples to make one gallon of apple cider. Apples are about 25% air. That's why they float. Have you ever bobbed for apples, Harry? I have bobbed for apples. It's not such a cool thing to do, I don't think, now in coronavirus times, but maybe in the future. According to the Guinness World Records, the largest apple ever harvested weighed over four pounds. Did you know that bobbing for apples, it's an old Celtic game traditionally played around New Year's. The way to bob for apples if you want to try it, and probably just try it yourself or maybe with your family, is you fill a big tub with water and you put in some apples and you try to catch them with your teeth. It's a lot harder than it sounds. It's super hard. Apples are slippery. Hi, I'm Miley Carpenter from Food Network Magazine, and I'm here with my daughter, Sawyer. We're from New York City. Did you know that you can make chips at home without using potatoes? That's right, you can make chips out of fruit. We're going to teach you how to make apple and banana chips. Let's start with apple chips. Just preheat your oven to 200 degrees and brush one or two baking sheets with vegetable oil. Cut your apples in half with a chef's knife. You might want to ask a grown-up to help with that part and then scoop out the seeds with a spoon and slice the apples into rounds that are about a quarter inch thick. Lay the apple slices in a single layer on the baking sheets and just bake them until they're dry. It'll take a while, about two or three hours. You can make banana chips the same way. Preheat your oven to 200 degrees, brush a baking sheet with vegetable oil, and then with a paring knife, slice bananas into circles that are about an eighth of an inch thick. They have to be really thin so they'll bake easily. Lay the banana slices in a single layer on the baking sheet and bake them until they're golden, two or three hours. When you remove them from the oven, let them sit at room temperature until they're firm. With fun apple and banana chips like these, who needs potatoes? So, Harry, I had an idea to include a new segment of the show where we share something that made us super happy this week. What do you think? 
I think that sounds great. I think given everything that's going on in the world, we should all be sharing what's making us happy. So something that I'm happy about this week is that I'm excited to announce that Time for Lunch is now a part of Kids Listen. Kids Listen is a community of podcasts that are just for kids, and there's even an app. So you can download it wherever you can find your apps, and it includes our podcast and a whole bunch of other ones that are just for kids. Ooh, that's really exciting. We're excited to find new podcast friends. And if you listeners find any great podcasts on Kids Listen that you think we'd like, let us know. Remember, you can email us at timeforlunchpodcasts at gmail.com. Okay, so something that made me happy this week was I got to celebrate the Jewish holiday Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, with my family. So I got to spend a day making delicious food with my mom and then eating it. It was really cool and breezy and autumnal that day, and we actually made a delicious apple cake. That sounds great. Apples are traditionally eaten for Rosh Hashanah. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. That means Happy New Year in Hebrew. At the beginning of the episode, we asked, How big was the largest apple ever harvested? And the answer is, According to the Guinness World Records, the largest apple ever harvested weighed over four pounds. Thanks for listening to Time for Lunch today. We'll be back next week with more tasty stories. Thanks to Lonnie for the jokes and to Miley and the Sawyer Carpenter for the recipe. You can find more fun recipes for kids in Miley's new book, Food Network Magazine's Big Fun Kids Cookbook, available wherever books are sold. This show is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Harry Rosenblum and Hannah Forden, with engineering by Liam Warner. Emily Kunkel is our associate producer. Music in this episode was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our fun facts theme was created by our very own Liam Warner. Time for Lunch is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Time for Lunch is powered by Simplecast. And remember to stay in touch. Whether you have a joke you'd like to share or if you'd just like to tell us what you had for lunch, we would love to hear from you. Send us your recipes, poems, book or podcast recommendations or anything else you think we'd like. It's easy to record yourself using the Voice Memo app on an iPhone or just take a video. Ask your favorite grown-up to help you email us at timeforlunchpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, age, and your address so we can send you a little something in return. Time for Lunch is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. Thanks for listening. <laughs>